and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Wes Schroll, who is the CEO and founder of Fetch Rewards. Wes wrote a business plan for what would one day become Fetch Rewards during his sophomore year at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Fetch has since grown to over 600 employees and recently closed its Series D round of financing with a $220 million round led by SoftBank in March of 2021. Fetch is a bona fide unicorn with a valuation of over $1 billion and is currently pursuing aggressive expansion with Pepsi, Unilever, and other nationwide partners. Thanks so much for joining us today, Wes. Absolutely, Matthew. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm going to kick us off with a fact that I found out about you. According to your LinkedIn profile, it's been about 10 years since you founded Fetch. If you look back at the last 10 years, what are you the most proud of to date? It is crazy that you can in fact say that that is almost a fact and that it has almost been a decade since originally starting with a concept while I was uh, still going to school in between my freshman and sophomore year. So if I was to, to look back over the almost decade of learning and experience, I would say one of, one of the things that I'm most proud of is just, if I look at the team today that we have, it is a world-class organization. I think early on, you, the, the nature of it really focuses on who's immediately around you. And you're working with people that are, in my case, from Madison, Wisconsin. And there's some amazing people in Madison, Wisconsin. But now if I think about the six over 600 employees we have, it's across 40 different states. And it means we are taking the best of the best that we can find, agnostic of where they live, and we get the chance to work together uh, and solve common problems. And, and to have that amount of help and attention from people I admire across the entire organization is, is very surreal and something I'm definitely proud of. And I think something that that has all culminated in is today serving over 11 million monthly active users. It's something that I often take time to try to appreciate and try to quantify. I know I was flying into New York last week, and as I looked down on the city and knew that within Manhattan, there's something like 8 million people around there and the surrounding boroughs. And to say that's not even all of the monthly active users, everything I see, every person in every building and every car down there does not even represent where we're at. You know, after launching, while well, we've been at it for almost 10 years, we only launched the Fetch Rewards app four and a half years ago. So to, so to think about that type of scale, to think about the amazing talent we have with 600 people across 40 states, 11 million people across the entire country, um, it's something that I have to challenge myself to, to believe. And it's absolutely something I'm very proud of. Can you take us back a bit to that founding period? What do you wish you would have known at that point? How would you maybe have spent your time differently? And, and what did you learn about yourself during that period? I think one of the things that I often talk about is there's the nature to look at entrepreneurship and to think about the either black or white outcome of success and massive success and failure. And I don't think anyone really talks about the fact that regardless of which of those two paths you end up on and, and the result is, 
the journey is full of ups and downs and times where you feel on top of the world, but your company may end up going under a couple months later or the opposite. You feel like you're about to go out of business and then fast forward 10 years and we are where we're at today. And no one had really explained that to me and how important it is to keep a level mindset and not get too high, not get too low, find a way to stay kind of even keeled because that's when you make your best decisions. What I found early on that, again, I wish I knew was that if you are what we call internally thrash, if you're going from idea to idea or, or just because some bad piece of news happened or some good piece of news happened and you don't have the conviction to stay on the path that you're at, you often will expand the amount of time it's going to take to get from here to there. Uh, and you also may get off the trail that would have led you to a really good place and you may go down to a dead end. So I think just again, keep keeping in mind uh, I wish I would have known that it, it's okay to stay a little bit more level to the, the, that no matter, you know, the end destination, there will be lots of ups and downs. Um, and I don't think we often hear about that too, because you, you focus on the huge overnight successes and, you know, those stories seem like they're all positive, but they all, no matter how, who, which founder I talk to, we all experience those ups and downs. And I wish younger Wes knew that. How do you think you've personally changed the most as a leader? When you think back to those early days, you obviously weren't managing a company of, of 600 people that had press and national publications that had achieved a level of success. How do you think you've personally changed the most over the years? I think one of the things that has changed just like holistically for me is the time period that I'm focused on. I think very early on, it's it's all about what's happening in the next hour, two hours, three hours. What can I do to maximize the impact for the business this hour? Is it, do I go and talk to a consumer? Do I make a cold call email um, to, to a potential client? And the, the results of what you choose to do with those hours makes a huge difference to the business one way or another. And then middle, you know, even if I think back to a couple of years ago, then I'm thinking about what do I do this week versus next week? And those small little choices would have big impacts on what happened in that month or that quarter versus today. It's very much thinking more about months out, quarters out, years out. And there's a part of that that for me is very privileged because you're getting to spend more time in that, that uh, I'll call it more of the dream mindset of what could happen, what's in the art of the possibility. And I love that. I, I love spending time there. Um, but the, the converse is true is like if for some reason something bad happens and you're having a bad month. There's not much I can do to influence that month anymore. And it's more of you can influence the next quarter, two quarters out. Um, and I think that's also percolated into my life too. It gives me much more appreciation for the small things, the things that I can do. It's like, I can choose to exercise in the morning when I wake up. I can choose to eat healthy this day to try to you know keep the energy higher. It's, it's all about like, I still have a lot of those small things that again, early stage, I didn't care about eating. I didn't care about exercising. Those were pushed out. So I think those two have kind of flipped. And I, I, I think it's, I, I appreciate the, uh, you know, having that opportunity to, to experience both. I do like fluctuating back and forth. So um, I do sit on a board of another early stage startup that still gives me the experience of kind of being in the here and now. Um, but, you know, at, at work, it's, it's, it's awesome to be able to spend so much time thinking about the future. I love getting questions from our listeners. And one of the questions that I get frequently has to do with the fact that I believe we have a lot of listeners who, who work at or are leaders at small to mid-sized companies. 
And one of the ways that you grow in that space is you get partnerships with much larger organizations, which I think from the what I know about your organization was a, a real success point. You guys have partnerships with large, global, well-known household names. How did you think about partnerships early on? And, and what do you think made you successful in that realm? I think very early on, we wanted to be partnered with companies that would be applicable to as many households as possible, because we had ambitions of reaching tens of millions of consumers. And we knew if we were going to be able to be relevant to them, we had to think about who are the big companies that have 90 plus percent penetration into households. And that's who we targeted and went after the Unilevers, the Pepsis, the Kimberly Clarks of the world, um, all very, very well-known brands. And for us, the way that we kind of inserted ourselves is for them, they've built up these massive organizations that have amazing brand recognition. They have supply chain and logistics all figured out. But because of all those things, it also means that they can't move very nimbly. It's just an inherently that's the scale that they've gotten to and the fact that a lot of it's physical. For us, we represented a, a, a way of working with people who not only had a product, but had ideas that seemed very forward thinking to them that helped them to bridge the gap between, you know, what, what worked traditionally versus what the customer of today is potentially going to want and what the customer of tomorrow is going to want. And then we offered them partnership and solutions to try to bridge that gap and get to where they want to be. And I think what we've seen is the largest brands and companies are going to need to continue to evolve into this more of this partnership model, realize that they don't need to all do it themselves uh, and have everything in-house. I think the days of companies like GE touching everything from airplanes to insurance is going to be over and instead they're going to do it through partnerships. Um, I'd say the other thing that we learned from these large companies is you can look over their history and how they grew over the last like, 60 years to get to the scale that they were at and all the bumps that they hit in, you know, along the way. And for some high, high growth tech companies, they're doing that same amount of growth, but condensed into five, six, 10 years. Uh, so so it's, it's a lot of the same journey. It's a lot of the same problems that you eventually have to solve, but the time frame is just more compressed. And I think by us, like that's some of the value we get out of being partnered with these companies is we get to see uh, you know, over a longer period of time, what were the learnings that they had? They share them with us. We can incorporate them very quickly uh, and then hopefully not make the same mistake. So I think it's a very symbiotic relationship that we have with these large companies and that they have with us. Um, one is looking more backwards and learning about where we should go. And we're looking more forwards and informing how they move forward. So uh, it's worked out really nicely. And I think we both bring our different uh, skills and intangible value to the table that that each of us kind of represent. One thing that you've said a few times, which a lot of our guests talk about is, is the people, the people around you that have made this success possible. What are some of the things that you've learned about hiring over the course of the last 10 years that you believe has made you successful scaling so fast to over 600 people? I think one of the key things that was really insightful for me because I just never anticipated it, we go out there and I think we get the opportunity to hire some of the best uh, that are available and they have amazing, rich, deep experience uh, and, and things that are pretty relevant to obviously what we're trying to do. And we went from the shift of like, we want you to bring it in and, you know, bring your, bring your knowledge and bring it to bear here at Fetch. 
what we missed is actually asking asking new employees to slow down and just come and check everything that they know to the side for a couple of weeks and give us a give a chance for yourself to learn what is fetch like what is the culture like what are the people like and then a couple of weeks into it once you kind of have your feet underneath you that's when you bring in this rush of all of your experience uh, that you've had before and now know how to better insert it into the business because you understand the culture and it's a slight nuance and it, it basically just means the difference between we want people to bring all of their experience and learnings and teach us day one which is what we were originally doing versus saying hey bring it in call it month two and it's very, very small, but we learned if you're wanting to scale this fast, it's just as important to make sure that that information is being pumped into the organization in a way that's not massively disruptive or maybe just speaking a different language and therefore missing that very valuable knowledge over the heads of the teams, not because they don't want to hear it, because it's just not being spoken in a way that 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 those uh, connections are being made. So I think that was one of the biggest learnings for us is like we want to go out there and we tell people all the time you're here because of your amazing track record and what you've done in the past before and how much we admire that and want to learn from that however we want you to also take a second to learn about who we are and what what and how we do things not saying that they're all right but just that uh that because if you do that you'll be able to translate better and actually have more of an impact quicker so i think that was one of the big learnings that we had um and then also just trying to empower everyone within the organization to be a part of the community that's welcoming these new people into the organization welcoming their new ideas um trying to get them up to speed quicker i think that's something that the whole team has done an amazing job with um, and, and makes it more inviting and ma makes everything happen just faster and be more sustainable. One of, one of your previous answers hit on your, your morning routine. And it's a question that we get frequently is about, I'll call it productivity hacks or, or different things that you do that make your job easier or make you more efficient at what you do. Do you have any other things that you've picked up along the, the years that has helped you be more effective with tons of emails coming in, different calls that you need to take, different responsibilities and things pulling on your time? What, what helps you be more productive in your role? I, I would say the, you know, throughout my, you know, the and almost 10 years of running the business, I can remember how I've read different articles here and there talking about you should get up at this time you should do this do you know like all prescribing what works best and none of them you know worked just outright themselves and i think what i've come to find is you just need to find consistency in what's working for you and then stick to it so for me it's like bed you know making sure i'm going to sleep for me it happens to be between 10 and 10 30 like that's the rough time i just want to be consistent because then it allows me to consistently wake up at call it 615 and to be, you know, out. First thing I do is take my dog over to the dog park because especially in the morning, it's brisk, it's cold, wakes me up. I, I'm not doing, I'm, my phone is left at home during that time frame, So I have 30 minutes outside of the house where I'm moving around first thing in the morning to make sure I'm, I'm just waking up. By the time I get back, brewing a cup of coffee, sitting down with the news and just reading through a bunch of different news sources, daily emails that I'm getting, trying not to check any work emails, any of my Slack messages yet. It's just that for me, that routine 
allows me to, I think, kind of get get my mind going before then taking on challenges for the day. Um, so kind of doing that up until 7.15, 7.20. Um, and then depending on, then, then I'm opening up the work emails, checking the calendar, seeing what the day's going to look like. And then it's all about just prioritizing, um, trying to identify what are the things that are going to move the needle? What are the things that I can pass off to others? Um, and, and you know, being, being okay that you're not going to get that right every time, I think is one of the biggest things because I think some people get paralyzed trying to figure out, well, is this important? Is that not important? It's like, just make a call and just commit to it one way or another. Guarantee you're not going to be right all the time. I'll take meetings where I'm like, why did I do that? But you just kind of forgive and move on and be like, that was at the time, I thought that was the right decision and uh, learned that it wasn't. And uh, you, you get better at figuring out, you'll start, start having pattern recognition of which, you know, what's a, what are the best things that you can do with your, your time. Um, but I think consistency in the, the morning and the night is super helpful to then free you up to being really productive during those working hours. Um, and then for us, one thing we encourage across all of our employees is when I say those working hours, for me, that happens to mean like, 7.20 in the morning till maybe nine at night. Now, what that doesn't mean is I'm working that whole time. So when I say those are my working hours, I may be working out at noon or something like that for an hour and breaking out that time. It's just, you know, I fit in things when I can. May, um, you know, if my wife has a little time off early, I may take four to six and be with her and then be back on after that. As long as you're communicating with your teams and they know, uh, you know, they know when they can and can't reach you. I think that's really important. But uh, especially as we've moved towards remote and not always in an office day to day, I think that flexibility is really important allowing yourself to have that. Um, but then just again, prioritizing and doing and communicating to your team when they can uh, interact with you is the, the most important for long-term sustainability. Work-life balance to me means like work-life integration, not actually like this time's for this, this time's for that. I, I don't find that that helps me. Before we move to the final two questions that I get to ask all guests, I'd love to ask that as you've scaled your team and you've brought on new leaders below you, what are the one to two skill sets that you're looking for in leaders of your organization? As I'm assuming you hope to scale, you made it from 300, 400 employees to now over 600. As you continue to grow, you're going to need to add more of those leaders below you. What are the skills that you're looking for in those people that you promote to those crucial roles? Two of the things that, you know, top of mind for me come up are one is just being able to have an understanding of what is our product? Why do people use it? Uh, empathize with the fact that we have lots of different consumers. No one person is going to rep be representative. So always be kind of analytically focused, knowing that, you know, large scale numbers will be able to tell us more than any one off conversation or even just my one off belief of this thing or that thing. So I think just having that holistic understanding to the business and what creates value for us long term, what creates value for our consumers, why consumers at the center of everything we do, because without them, we fall apart and we have no real value. I, I love to look for people who embody that in every decision that they're making, um, whether it's how they're leading a team meeting and making sure that like that's one of the key points they keep tying everything back to, whether it's them talking with a client and helping the client understand that while we're saying no to exactly what they're asking for, why in the long term it's actually uh, us pointing them in a better direction towards a yes that will be sustainable. Um, those are the type of people that we love to see. Um, and then the other, you know, characteristic. So that's one. The other characteristic is people who are just open to feedback 
and then also willing to, so that they, they receive feedback, whether it's, you know, direct candid feedback, they receive it well, they, they receive it with uh, this high degree of curiosity where they say, okay, I, I will take that feedback and I'm going to assume there's a kernel of truth in there somewhere and I'm going to go find it. And then they also give feedback, but they hold it lightly. So I may say, hey, this, you know, does not work for me. I don't think this new feature makes sense. So I can give that feedback. But if someone comes back to me and shows me that I was wrong or has rationale for why I'm probably wrong, I'll very quickly be like, okay, got it. Like you just hold it very lightly. You don't assume that your feedback is true. Um, you'll let it fly and you'll be very candid and direct with it. But again, as you learn new information, you're the first, you know, I want those people to be the first ones to be like, oh, you were right. I was wrong. Yeah, absolutely. No ego in it. <laughs> totally comfortable just admitting that they were wrong and uh, and moving on. So I think that, you know, that, that balance helps us get the customer first mindset in there and then more of how people interact with each other. Um, those are two key things that I look for as I work with different leaders in the organization. Well, that answer is a wonderful spot to shift to the two rapid fire questions that I get to ask all guests, because the first one is about your personal leadership style. So I'll, I'll kick us off here with number one, which is if you could describe your leadership style, but I just gave you one word, what would that word be? Oh, that's a good one. I'm, I'm going through a couple different uh, potential one words. Um, I, I would go with like curious listener. There's a hyphen in there. Uh, you know, kind of to that, to that last point, I, I think I absolutely am always curious and listening to the team. And I think without that, you can't make good decisions. And the last rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? It actually came very recently and I'm not sure it's the best, most recent advice that I've got. We are inherently trained to believe that one that most doors we walk through are one-way doors, like mental decision doors that we walk through are one way. You'd be amazed how few doors in life and decisions that you're going to make are actually one way. And I think it speaks to our willingness to take risks and everything like that of, uh, you should just commit and try because it's, it's pretty easy to, to turn around and say, that wasn't right go back as long as you don't have the ego at the, uh, that, that, you know, as long as the ego is kept in check, you can turn around and walk right back through that door and then choose a different one. I think people forget that they can, they can choose multiple different things. Uh, you just gotta be willing to actually turn around. Well, walking back through the door is a wonderful spot to close this out. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can our listeners find out more about you and about your organization? Yeah, if they want to learn more about Fetch, I'd encourage you to just go to FetchRewards.com. Check us out on the uh, on the app stores as well, if you want to download the app and give it a try. Otherwise, you can connect with me on LinkedIn and would always love to uh, share additional thoughts with any listeners. Well, thank you for all the great insight and thanks to all of our wonderful listeners for joining us as always. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. This podcast is produced by Ability, a leading provider of award-winning leadership development. You can find us at www.ability.com or by searching for Ability Leadership Development. Make sure to also check out our 12-week fully virtual mini MBA, the Invited MBA, a nights and weekends program that features experiential learning, mentorship, case studies, and networking. Find more information at www.invitedmba.com. Finally, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you get our next episode. We want to thank you all for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.